We're going to be in 2 Corinthians as we've been the last few weeks, even though today is graduation Sunday. We're not going to uh, change, uh, change up that flow. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, although we are going to draw a parallel out of our, our scripture this morning that d- does um, very much make sense on a day like today. Uh, but you know, in our, in our current uh, world, in our current technology and, and how everything works, um, it, it's hard for us to imagine and go back to a day where there was no technology, For some of us, it's easier than others, but a day in which it was hard to verify who someone was. I mean, I can take my phone out of my pocket and just look at it, and it opens up because it knows it's me. On a certain level, that's just weird and creepy. But on the other level, that's just how we live today, right? I mean, we have passports and passport cards that we can show who we are. And I don't think we're that far off from just being able to walk through an airport without TSA because the eye in the sky already knows who we are and, and, and is able to validate all of that stuff without anybody having to check that themselves and, and taking the humans out of the process. I mean, that's the, the, the day and age that we live in. And so going back to a time in which Paul is, is writing to the church in Corinth and, and referencing letters of recommendation that do I need this letter or do you, uh, from you or, or for you, a time where it was incredibly difficult to verify someone was who they were saying, who they say they were and their credentials and all of that. Just imagine how difficult it was to trust the word coming from somebody and you're working off of um, what is available to know whether or not they are trustworthy. And so the, um, the title of the message today is A Letter of Recommendation. If you've been with us, then you know that Paul is writing this letter to Corinth, addressing some of the, the challenges and, and issues that, that were going on in the church. And one of that, part of that was that they were challenging him. They're challenging his validity, his work within the church in Corinth and elsewhere as an apostle of Christ. And so hopefully you had time to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's take a look at our passage this morning, and then we're going to break it down. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, Paul is, is asking some of these questions, tossing them out so that he can answer them himself, as he does tend to do from time to time. And saying, what, I mean, to what level do I need to verify or validate who I am with respect to you? You yourselves are actually the letter of recommendation. The change in your lives, the salvation that you have seen in and amongst yourselves, that is the letter of recommendation that I am who I say I am, and I am a apostle of Christ. So the first point today is you are, a, you are our letter of recommendation. And see, letters of recommendation were not even new to Paul. He used them and was aware of them just like anybody else was. And, and there's a possibility that even some of the false teachers in and amongst the Corinthians had letters themselves. Whether they were true or not, we don't know for sure. Where they were from, we don't know for sure. 
But he alludes to this probably because others were showing letters. Paul himself even refers back in Acts 22 to a time that he carried letters himself. His name was a little bit different. He was about to meet Jesus himself on a, on a road to Damascus. But he describes it like this in Acts 22. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul used letters when he was named Saul to actually persecute the church and to verify he was from the, the leaders of Israel. And so he's used letters before. He understands how letters work, but he's saying there's a little bit different of a take on this letter that they are his letter of recommendation. What about us as a church? You could probably appeal to different things and uh, um, different things that are done by our church or, or not done by our church as validity that we are a true church of God, a true group of Christ followers. And while those outside things may be a, a fair letter, a fair thing to point to, I want to take us down a different path this morning, one of an internal letter. The, the parallel part to this passage that we're going to walk down this morning is that our children are our letter of recommendation to this world. Our children within this church that are growing up un, uh, under our leadership, both in the home and in the church, they are our letter of recommendation to this world that we are truly followers of Christ. What does that letter look like? You see, it, happens, it does happen in the home and in the church. I've been blessed to, to lead our, our family ministry here, which means that I oversee um, pretty much birth through college and have some fantastic team members and staff that, that help run all of those things in the day-to-day -day and, and week-to-week aspects. But I get to see our letter. And I get to talk with parents and paint a vision of what it looks like to disciple well within the home. So how are we doing? What does discipleship look like in the home? If you're a note taker, I want you to write down three words. These are the same three words that we um, have on our website that we share with parents at parent-child dedication and other opportunities. It's the three, essentially the three aspects of discipleship. The first one is modeled. Discipleship is modeled in our lives. We are discipling our kids to some end, regardless of whether or not we're thinking about it or not. We are modeling what it looks like to them. A whole series of commercials that I find hilarious about how um, a certain insurance company cannot stop you from becoming your parents. And it's true. Discipleship is modeled. It's also strategic. All right? Or sorry, not strategic. That's a different S. Scheduled. <laughs> Scheduled. And there is strategy in that scheduling of discipleship. There are times that you set aside to talk about the things of God. And there's times that you set aside to come to church as a family. There are scheduled natures to discipleship. There's also a third one, opportunistic. There's opportunistic discipleship that happens all the time. My wife and I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And we get opportunities to speak the truth of Jesus into their lives, sometimes at unexpected times. Some of those questions that they ask happen when you're not ready for them 
or when you think they're too young to be asking that question. And we have to be ready as parents because we are proactively seeking Christ and proactively studying his word and being made into his image and building character and instincts that are fitting for a believer so that when they do ask those questions, we're ready. Because the way we, the way we answer those questions matters, not just in what we say, but in how we answer as well. You see, the expectation is not that you know everything. <laughs> And you're always able to give, well, a chapter and verse to every question that is asked. It's an unreasonable bar. But are you even ready for the question as parents? You see, we can actually shut off the connection that we have to our children and push them away to other sources of answers based on how we respond. If, you're, if your child comes to you and asks a question about a significant topic, and you choose to respond with emotion or you push them to the side because you're too busy, you can actually make them less likely to come back and ask you the next time. We can shut that process off. And I understand because with some of those questions, they're ones we've thought about, we've worked through, we already know what the answer is and we are confirmly convinced of what the answer is and yet still our children are processing that. They are still thinking through what does this mean and what does it mean in my life? Is there still a man and a woman or is there a variety of options? But if we choose to respond to our children with, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's not a dumb question. They're processing it. They're asking the same question that we have asked, but we have to learn to, to not give the final version, but go to where they are and guide them to the truth. But if you choose to respond in anger or frustration, you may not get a second chance. How are we discipling in the home? Here's the thing though. Parents are the primary disciplers, but they're not meant to be the only ones. From Deuteronomy to Titus, we see references of how we are supposed to do this together. We are raising up our children together. When I'm talking about our children being the letter of recommendation, it's not just of the parents, it's us of, as a church as well. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact on the lives of our children. And I don't mean to to mention just one name at the detriment of the others, but in our personal family, in our personal household, if there is one name that just has an impact, it's because of the impact she's had in this church. That if you just say the name, Mrs. Judy Martin, some of y'all know her, the look in my daughter's eyes means everything. I don't farm out my discipleship to her. She builds on as a family of Christ because we're in this together and discipling well in our church and writing that letter well requires all of us to do it together. The older discipling the younger. But we need to address a couple things. First of all, what does that letter look like? Is there a handful making up for the many? Or are we in this together? You see, 
The children don't care, don't truly care about how old you are, regardless of your age and their age. What they truly care about the most is do you care? And you can care regardless of what date you were born on and what date they were born on. You might say, oh, well, maybe that's okay with the little ones, but the teenagers, the teenagers, I don't understand their language. These words, what do they mean? I'm gonna let you on a secret. They don't know either. <laughs> they really don't. Like, if you go ask them some of, what some of the words mean or some of the hand gestures and stuff, hey, what does that mean? Well, I think it means this. How do you know that? I don't know, I saw it online. There was a TikTok about it. I think it means this. And that's true of all generations, right? But listen, you don't have to worry about knowing their language. But I don't, I don't, I don't understand social media like they do. I don't, I don't know how to, to teach them how to TikTok like a Christian. I don't, I don't get that. They don't need you to teach TikTok to them or any other social media platform. What they need you to do is to spend your time giving generously and loving them sacrificially in a way that you teach them how to live holy for God including on social media. See, I've been doing student ministry for 15 years. And yes, things change over the years, and yes, the language changes, and yes, the, the minds change a little bit, but I want, to, I want you to know that there's one thing that never changes. It's a simple nature. They are working through and struggling with the same simple nature that you and I have. They might seek out to sin in different ways, but they are struggling with the same sinful temptations. Are you contributing to that letter? How are you contributing to the work that this church is doing to raise up the next generation? Are you too busy or focused on other things to be able to serve? I understand there's seasons of life and I don't mean to diminish that. But what I know from scripture is that every one of us that's a Bible, that is a Christ follower, Bible-believing church member, that we are blessed with spiritual gifts that we are meant to use to build up the church. And the church is weaker if you're holding those to yourself. By the way, we don't age out of giving. There is no, I did that when I was younger, I served in that way, and then I, and I served in that way. You know what, now, it's somebody else's job. That is a lie. The idea and the mindset that coming into this campus or living for Christ throughout the week has to do with everything I can receive versus what I give must change in all of us. If you show up into this place thinking, what did I get today? You don't get it. You don't understand what the purpose of this place is, what the purpose of this group of people is. The purpose is for us to give into the lives of one another. We are stronger because we are seeking to give and not get. If we're not in this together, the letter will not read what it could read. We also need to talk about who the author of this letter is. Look back at your, um, at your Bible in verse three, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. 
Skip down to verse four. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. You see, the people were the letter of recommendation for Paul, but he wasn't the author of the letter. He was the, the deliverer of the letter. The author of the letter is God. He was, he's the one who saved them. Paul says something similar in 1 Thessalonians. He says, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, it what, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You see, we have no more of an ability today to, to save someone that we care about than Paul did back then. The parallel for us in the church is that our role is not to save, but to serve. And generally, that, that, that means serving God through everything we do, right? Faithfully serving him and seeking after him. We seek to be faithful and we pray and hope that God moves in the life of a child or any other person we come into contact with because we can't save anybody. You can do everything right as a parent and your child still not come to faith in Christ. You can also do everything wrong as a parent and God can still move. Because our role is not in the saving, our role is in the faithfully serving of our Lord. And then he chooses when to move and how to move. It's important for us to remember that in Proverbs 22, this is a proverb and not a promise that we hold up. Train up a child in the way he should go and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a proverb. It means this is what normally happens. It's not a promise that everything you do translates equally and to exactly the faith in the life of your child. But in general, if we train up in the way they should go, in general, most of them, many of them, will not depart. If you want a full chapter about how the... the, the faith of the parent translates to the faith of the child and how they are individual faiths. You can look up Ezekiel 18 and it, and it lays out exactly how our faith is not subject to our parents' faith. It's not dependent or reliant on that. You can have Christian parents and a non-Christian child. You can have non-Christian parents and a Christian child because our faiths are individual and none of us are born Christian. We may be born into Christian families, but we are not born Christians. We embrace that role in our family ministries here. You'd hear us talk about some other phrases if, you, uh, if you're involved in our, in our family ministries. The, um, we know we can't save any child. We talk about nurturing the faith. Nurturing the faith in a child, helping them find their way towards their own faith and helping them grow in the, the measures of discipleship that we believe in here. And it, a part of that nurturing involves training and providing opportunities. 
We attempt to train up children and we provide opportunities for them to live it out. That's as basic as it gets. <laughs> now that looks a lot of different ways on Sundays and Wednesdays and summer and all those different things, but that's essentially what we try to do every single week. Train up and provide opportunities so that hopefully in the end, their faith is nurtured as God moves and works. You see, we're not able to save and yet still on some level, it's fair to say that they are our letter of recommendation. You see, even in the life of a child turned adult, they should be able to be asked and, and give an honest answer of how this church discipled them. The answer would hopefully be, well, they loved me well. They sacrificed for me. They, they, they clearly cared about me and did everything they could. I just don't believe. That's possible. And yet all too often in churches, I'll generalize it so we don't feel too bad about ourselves. All too often in churches, the answer is they didn't care. Maybe there was one person that cared about me. I was ostracized because the sin I struggled with that they said was sin, but I don't think is. As a whole, the church didn't really care. Every now and then a, a handful of them would invest in me or, or spend some time with me. But clearly most of them didn't care. What does our letter read? This is meant to be done together. And while we don't get to control the entirety of the outcome, we must be faithful and pray that God will move. One more thing about this letter. There's, he, he describes this letter. Look back at verse three. We'll look at the second half of it and then we'll skip down to verse six. This letter was written not with ink, but with spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Verse six. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He's clearly making a, a comparison to the old and the new. Similar to what is laid out in Jeremiah 31. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put the, my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's a distinction between the old and the new, between the law and the spirit. It's not that the law didn't do its job, it's that it did exactly its job. The whole point was to show God's standard and how we do not meet it. And that we as sinners have gone astray and we have no possible way of making up for our sins. We face the wrath of God for our sins. And it's only through the grace of God that we have the ability to trust in him and have a relationship with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
He lays this out in Romans 8 too. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This law that was written in ink and on stone like the Ten Commandments is death. But written in the spirit on the hearts of those who believe today is life. When you see those two sets of three words side by side, the distinction is clear to everyone. And yet within that Corinthian church and within churches across the country today, there are those who are trying to cling to an old version of following God. Clinging to a a law that has never saved and does not save and will not save. Our goal in the church hopefully is not legalistic conformity, but transformation. Our goal, hopefully, as parents and as this church as a whole, is not to to send out really, really, really obedient, spiritually dead children. You see, it's hard. I understand. Listen, sometimes it feels like all you're doing is saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, as a parent. It feels like you just live in the law all the time, but that does not have to be our goal, should not be our goal. Our goal should be transformation. That yes, we would hope that they are moral, but the goal being transformation in the lives of our children. You see, we get it backwards too often. One of my little... um, you know, we all have those little things that we nitpick on that just annoy us more than anybody else. One of mine, doing family ministry and, and student ministry for, for years, is the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Hey, little guy, what do you want to be when you grow up? Depends on, I guess, depending on how far you want to look down, like he's either taller or shorter. What do you want to be? Oh, I want to be, and then insert profession, Right? And from a little age, from a young age, we start instilling in them that who they are is their profession and what they do. Why? (laughs) As believers, that should not be the way that we speak. That should not be our goal. I've caught myself saying it and smacked myself in the cheek and said, stop that. Because what we do is not who we are. And we must get those straight within our homes and within this church. That do as I say, not as I do has never worked. (laughs) But not only that, not do as I do or do as I say, but be as I am. You see, your parents know just how flawed you are. Or sorry, your children know just how flawed you are as parents. Your parents do too. (laughs) Goes both ways, I guess. We have no reason to try and put forth a self-righteous morality in front of our kids. They see through it anyways. They watch us and know what our values are. And even while mine are little and may still look at me in, in some way as a hero in their eyes, they already know I'm flawed. we must learn to live out the full gospel in front of our children and everyone really. 
that the, the full gospel, what it means to be a follower of Christ is not I've done all the right things and I've earned God's grace and love because I've done these things. It's in spite of the fact that I mess up every day. By the grace of God, he saved me. And while, yes, we have to keep the rules, and we, it doesn't mean we just let them run free and there's no rules. If you don't have rules for your kids, you don't truly love your kids. If we don't have rules, then, then we're not truly loving them well. And yet, the rules and the obedience to the rules should not be the end goal of our parenting and our discipleship in this church. Transformation must be our goal. That, yes, I'm flawed, but I'm desiring to be faithful. I deserve death for my sins, and yet I've been given life in Jesus Christ. If that's the message that we send to our children, whether they believe in Christ or not, outside of our control, we've done the best we can to raise them up in the way they should go. And so I would break us up into three categories this morning. Say, what, what do I do with all this? <laughs> Three categories. For one, to confuse you a little bit, there's two words that define any of us. I already said three, but two. Two words, alive or dead. And out of that dead category, there's only one next step. That if you walked into this place having not repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is the step that I pray for you for. And there'll be, there'll be people available after this service to talk to. I'll be down front. There's a, there'll be a number up on the screen that you can text if you'd like to communicate digitally. It is the age we live in. <clears throat> With that other category, the alive category, there's two different, two different groups. If you walked into this place, a member of this church, and you have been focused on receiving and not giving. Change that today. If there is no way that you serve through this church, not every job's right for everybody, but if there's no way that you serve and give into the life of this body, building it up, then you are hoarding your spiritual gift. And we are weaker without you. Let somebody know you'd like to serve. Text the number, let us know. We'd love to talk with you about what that could look like. And there's a variety of options. For those who walked in this place as alive and not members of this church, you can't serve. We limit serving in this church to those of us who are members of this church, who have committed to membership in this church. The next step for you would be to consider membership. June 4th, as Ryan said earlier, is our next prospective member class. They'll lay out everything in that class for you to understand about what we see as the purpose of this church and membership in this church and how we desire for you to contribute to this body. That's the next step for you. Will you join us in what we are doing as we seek to follow Christ well? And will you build up this body with us? So we all have homework. Hopefully it doesn't feel like homework. But there's always something next for us to do and there's always more that we can do to, to faithfully serve God.
and bring him glory. And hopefully, over the years, the letter of recommendation of this church shines brightly in the darkness that surrounds us. And there is not one person that walks and drives through this city that does not know about this church and how we follow Christ. That's what we're here for. You have more left to give. You know how I know? Because you're still here.